We're in a series titled, Allow Me to Introduce Myself, in which Jesus introduces himself, who he is, why he's here, what he does, in his own words. And there's a course of wealth of material in the gospel. So we've narrowed our field of vision to the gospel of John, and particularly to Jesus' emphatic I am statements. On at least eight occasions, Jesus introduced some truth about himself with the words I am spoken in the style of deity. That is, in the style of God's self-introduction to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. If you're joining us midstream, go to the website or pick up a CD and listen to the first sermon in the series, Allow Me to Introduce Myself. It'll help you understand why Jesus' use of those I am statements is so significant, so remarkable. Seven of the eight times in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses the emphatic I am, he includes a direct object. So he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. Those are the ones we've looked at already. Today we add, I am the good shepherd, from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Actually, we're coming back to verses 11 through 18 next week, and we're going to skip a little bit ahead this week so we can get context for what he's saying. Uh, I want to skip ahead to verse 19. Verse 19 says, John chapter 10, verse 19, then a division occurred again, and note the word again, this is not the first time. So we've seen this division, chapter 7, earlier, chapter 8, now chapter 10, uh, among the Jews because of these words. Some of the people were saying, it's like this guy's possessed. I mean, he's out of his mind. And other people were saying, no, people who are possessed don't talk like that, nor do they know how to heal blind people. And so there's this division, which is precisely what Jesus had predicted. He had warned people, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And it was a sword that would divide families even. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. As far as we can tell, Jesus was still at the Feast of Tabernacles. So from chapter 8, verse 12, through the early part of chapter 10, all of that surrounds the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when he publicly introduced himself as the Good Shepherd and stirred up the conflict that we just read about. We don't know what happened after that. It's likely that Jesus returned to his home base in Galilee. The Feast of Tabernacles happens mid-October, and all Jewish men living in Israel were required to attend. The next big festival was a winter festival. It wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament. And so attendance was not required, and fewer people came, and partly because of the winter weather. Uh, It was the Feast of Dedication. We know it today as Hanukkah. Uh, We need a little background on the Feast of Dedication. As I mentioned, it's not one of the biblical feasts. It celebrates acts of heroism that took place in between the close of the Old Testament and the opening events of the New, at a time when Israel was under the rule of the Seleucid Empire. After the Seleucid king died, there was a power struggle, and one of the king's sons, Mithridates, eventually ousted his rivals, his brothers, came to power and changed his name to Antiochus Epiphanes which means something like the illustrious one or even God manifest. His name wasn't all he changed. He also changed his father's policies. His father had allowed the Jews to follow their law with its religious observances, but Antiochus believed the Jews would pose a threat as long as they kept their cultural identity. He wanted to take that identity away from them, and the only way to do that was to separate the Jews from their faith. That would never happen 
as long as Jews were eating a kosher diet, so he ordered them to eat non-kosher foods like everyone else. That was the idea, get them to blend in with everyone else. That caused immediate conflict. Then he went further and insisted that Jews worship the Greek god Zeus. He went into the temple of Jerusalem. So when Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, he's got this in mind. He went into the temple, the holiest place, the heart of all Judaism, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar to Zeus to render the temple unclean. He thought that would end the worship of the Jews' God. Instead, it started a revolt. A family known as the Maccabees led the revolution. After killing a Jew who was about to worship Antiochus' idol, the, the father fled to the desert, and he began gathering an army around him. About a year later, the war began in earnest, and the Maccabees and their followers remarkably, amazingly, defeated their enemies, drove them out of Jerusalem, and set up their own government. They then cleansed and dedicated the temple, and particularly the altar of God. That's why it's called the Feast of Dedication. You can see why Hanukkah stirred patriotic feelings among Jews, and why, since Israel was once again, during Jesus' time on earth, under foreign occupation, it stirred thoughts of revolt. The Jews had driven the invaders out once. They could do it again. Now, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for Hanukkah, just two months after laying claim to the title of Good Shepherd. He's walking in Solomon's colonnade, which is on the east side of the temple. That in itself is significant, since Solomon was the son of David, and son of David is a messianic title. In fact, it's the messianic title. It was in this setting some Jewish leaders and influencers came up to Jesus and they surrounded him out in, in Solomon's colonnade. So think there's, there is a roof, there are pillars, but it's open as you look out. Jesus is walking in the colonnade. They come up and they surround him. Now we need to read verses 24 and 25. The Jews gathered round him. Literally, they encircled him, it says, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. All right, now wait a minute. Jesus, what do you mean you did tell them? When did you tell them? Where do I find that in the scriptures? We see where you told a despised Samaritan that you were the Messiah. We can kind of see how you told the man who was born blind, but when did you tell these Judean leaders that you were the Messiah? We don't see it at all. But it's there, right in front of our eyes, as it was in front of the Jewish leaders' eyes. They didn't see it because it wasn't what they were expecting and because it wasn't what they were wanting. This is the kind of thing Jesus was talking about at the end of chapter 9 when he told the Jewish leaders that they were blind. They couldn't see him, though he was standing right in front of them. The same kind of vision problem sometimes afflicts us. We ask God for something, and he's given us an answer, but because it's not the answer we expected or the one we wanted, we don't see it. See, God has made humans in a way that allows them not to see if they don't want to. What was it the Jewish leaders didn't see? 
Well, it's the very things we've been looking at in this series. Jesus told them he was the Messiah when he claimed to be the bread of life, the source of eternal life, when he claimed to be the light of the world, the Shekinah light that led Israel to the promised land, when he claimed he was the door for the sheep, the entrance of God's people into God's place and God's presence. But in the clearest way yet, he told them he was Messiah when at the Feast of Tabernacles, he announced that he was the good shepherd. That announcement was Jesus' declaration that he was the promised Messiah. It ought to have been crystal clear to the religious leaders. But two months later, they're surrounding Jesus and demanding that he tell them whether or not he's Messiah. Now, if they've been willing to accept his answer, and some of them, people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were, if they'd been willing to receive his answer, they would have recognized him. But if we ask God something when we aren't willing to accept his answer, we're bound to miss what he says. If we won't do what God says, we won't understand what God said. That was true then, it's true now. Let me say that again. If we won't do what God says, we won't understand what God said. We who don't know the Bible like they did might wonder how the announcement that Jesus is the good shepherd means that he's the promised Messiah. Let's bring that into focus. In the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those three books, religious leaders were referred to as shepherds, the shepherds of God's people, his flock. All three of those biblical writers famously criticized the religious leaders and painted them as bad shepherds. For example, Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Ezekiel says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the sheep? Isaiah says, They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Remember in John chapter 10, we saw this two weeks ago, Jesus talks about self-seeking shepherds and repeatedly contrasts himself with them. And remember, the shepherds of that generation were listening. And Jesus was accusing them in a similar way of being self-seeking. Now that's part one. Part two builds on it and brings it into sharper focus. Jeremiah goes right on to say in that passage in chapter 23, I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king, who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So immediately after rebuking the self-seeking shepherds, God says he'll send his own. A king from David's line. The Jews never forgot that promise. Ezekiel's even clearer. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. These are promises Israel knew well and was waiting for God to fulfill. And now here was Jesus saying, I'm not the self-seeking shepherds, but I am. Emphatic, I, I am the good shepherd. And remember, this was one of a series of extraordinary claims he'd been making. I am the door of the sheep. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. All right, now back to the Feast of Dedication. 
after the temple had been contaminated by Antiochus Epiphanes. The Jews couldn't offer worship there. The temple first had to be cleansed, and the altar had to be dedicated before it could become the place where people worshiped and offered their sacrifices to God. In John 10.36, the same chapter, later on during the debate that followed at Hanukkah, Jesus says that he is, and it's no accident he puts it this way, the one whom the Father set apart, the Greek word hagiazo, dedicated, sanctified, dedicated is in the feast of dedication, the one the Father dedicated and sent into the world. Jesus is the one God sent into the world to be the place where people meet and worship God and have their sins forgiven. That's not what these leaders were looking for. If they were looking for a Messiah at all, it was one who would keep them in power and even strengthen their position. They weren't interested in any other kind. But if we're not willing to do God's will before we understand it, we'll probably never understand it. God doesn't give us the option of knowing his will up front so that we can decide whether or not to do it. God, show me what your will is, and I'll make a decision about whether I want to do it. He doesn't do that. He reveals his will to people who've already decided that they will do it, no matter what it is. Imagine being in the army, and your sergeant tells you to, he's got some order for you, and you say, well, tell me what it is, and I'll decide whether or not I'll do it. But that's exactly what Jesus' people want to do with him. This parallels St. Paul's teaching perfectly. He says, present or offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That is, give your obedience to God up front. And then you'll know what the will of God is. God doesn't give people veto power over his will. If we won't do it, we won't know it. That's a problem for many of us. We haven't decided up front, I will do God's will no matter what. Now maybe there's something you've been asking God about and you're frustrated because he's not giving you an answer. It could be that he has given you an answer but you haven't seen it because you're not willing to accept it. And this applies to our search for a children's ministry director or what God's doing next in our children's ministry. We, we can't say, oh, God, show us your will, and we'll decide whether or not we'll do it. We say, God, we will do what you show us to do. In your case, if you're facing that, start by offering your obedience to God no matter what he orders you to do. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. If you aren't willing to do that, you better stop calling him Lord because you're acting like you are the Lord and your name isn't Jesus. When we hear Jesus say he's the good shepherd, what we usually think, we'll get into this much more next week, but what we usually think is what Jesus is saying is that he takes care of us, helps us when we're in trouble, leads us to places that are good for us, and that's true. That's all true, but that's not all. 
What Jesus is saying is that he is the promised Messiah of Jeremiah 23 and of Ezekiel chapter 34. He is the branch of David. He is the true king, the Lord. He is not our protector who will take care of us while we do our own thing. Boy, we need to hear that. He's our Lord who will protect us while we're doing his thing. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, this is good news. It's not up to us to defend ourselves. He'll do that. It's up to us to listen and follow. He is the David-like warrior shepherd who will keep the wolves at bay and will kill the bear and the lion. He'll turn them inside out before he'll allow them to hurt his people. But because listening and following Jesus is key, is our role, we need to practice listening. Let me give you a few things that you can do. First, practice listening to your spouse if you're married, to your kids if you have any, to your friends, and even your enemies. You are misguided if you think you can listen to God when you can't listen to your spouse. Let me say that again. You are misguided if you think you can listen to God when you can't listen to your spouse. Practice listening to other people. It will help you listen to God. Second, Hint, read the Bible and spend a lot of time in the Gospels. I say that because it's there you can learn the timber of Jesus' voice. Now, don't spend all your time in the Gospels. Some people do that. Uh, they, they think the Gospels are better than everything else. Don't do that. But in the Gospels, you can learn the timber of Jesus' voice. You can familiarize yourself with his tones. Try memorizing his words. It will help you recognize his voice when he speaks to you. Over the years, every pastor's had this happen. People have come up to me and say, the Lord told me this, and I think, I really wonder about that. And if it's someone who hasn't heard and learned the timber of Jesus' voice, there's real reason to have doubts. Next hint, when you pray, pay attention to the thoughts that come next to mind. Write them down. Now, I'm not saying those are, those are undoubtedly God's words to you, but I'm saying write them down and ask God about them. Sometimes God speaks to us, but we miss what he's saying because it's not what we expected or what we set our hearts on. So pay attention when you're praying. And I'll give you one more hint. Read a good book on the subject, like Dallas Willard's Hearing God or Henry Blackaby's Hearing God's Voice. Learn what you can learn about it. But even if you conscientiously do all these things, you won't hear the good shepherd's voice if you aren't a sheep. My sheep hear my voice. His sheep belong to him. They're not on their own. And they don't belong to themselves. If you haven't already done so, will you give yourself and your obedience to the Lord Jesus? Will you tell him that you will obey him as soon as you know what he wants you to do? Will you sign a check for the full amount of your obedience and predate it? You're giving it to Jesus for whatever 
comes in the future. Maybe you've already done that. If so, consider reaffirming that commitment. Now, I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen and give you a moment to read over it to see if it's something you can say to God. And if it is, would you join me in a moment in praying it? So, Lord, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what obeying you will entail. But right here and right now, I promise my obedience. I will do what the Good Shepherd tells me. I don't make this promise because I think I'm capable of fulfilling it. I'm not. I'm making it because I know you will help me in everything you call me to do. I make this commitment in the name of Jesus who was obedient unto death in the confidence that you will make me to be like him. Amen. If you can pray that prayer, would you pray it with me now? Let's do that. Lord, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what obeying you will entail. But right here and right now, I promise my obedience. I will do what the good shepherd tells me. I don't make this promise because I think I'm capable of fulfilling it. I'm not. I'm making it because I know you will help me in everything you call me to do. I make this commitment in the name of Jesus, who was obedient unto death, in the confidence that you will make me to be like him. Amen. Lord, hear our prayers. And do more, remind us of that prayer. And if we've just said those words but didn't mean them in our hearts, rebuke us. If we did mean them but we don't know what we're getting into, help us. And let us be a people dedicated to our God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Let's stand together.